0: ready for the word? Yeah. So, um, have you ever had a job and uh, you never sent to get round to it? Some, some, anybody got one of those right now? And, and anybody nudging, nudging somebody right now and saying, and anyway, I, you forget about it. So years ago, I asked Jean, I, I, we have this problem in our house, what do you want for Christmas? Anybody else? Yeah. I mean, what do you give the woman who's got everything? Um <laughs> you're absolutely right you give us shoes Um, and uh, so I asked Jeannie this particular year what do you want for Christmas and she said I'd like a a mirror uh, for uh, the side of the bed in the bedroom now we have got wardrobes that have got mirrored doors (laughs) floor to ceiling wardrobes with mirrored doors but she wanted a mirror for the uh, bedroom so we bought I bought her a mirror for nice mirror for Christmas it came but the glass was broken uh, it arrived, So I contacted the company and I said, obviously it's arrived, sent them a picture. What would you like us to do? And they said, whatever you do, don't send it back. It'll cost too much in postage. We don't want to uh, pay for that postage. I tell you what, why don't you keep it? We'll refund you the money and you can get some new glass put in it. And I thought, win. Win, because the mirror cost this, but a piece of glass isn't going to cost much at all. Thank you, God, I said. Thank you, God, for your favor. Anybody else like God's favor like that? We've got this mirror and we've got it cheap as well. So the mirror stayed broken under our stairs for four years <laughs> in the box. A simple, cheap job, but I just never got round to it. Never got round to do it. Thankfully, I did it about a year ago or 18 months ago. We started the after the fire series last week, and we looked at, we're looking at the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah's in exile and he's in the citadel of Susa. He's the cupbearer to the king Artaxerxes at the time. And he wants to know about how the rebuilding efforts have gone in Jerusalem. You remember how the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem in 587 BC and took the Jews away into Babylon as slaves. But then 40 years after that, the um, uh, Persians, the Medes and the Persians rise up and they conquer the Babylonians. And, uh, And Cyrus, who's the ruler then of the Medes and Persians, issues a decree. In 538 BC, he issues a decree saying that all the exiles can actually go home. They can go back to their homelands and they can worship their gods. I want to show you this picture again. I know I showed it last week. But this is the decree that Cyrus issued. And we have it in the British Museum here in the UK. But the story of Nehemiah is about 100 years later again, later after this decree decree the exiles have gone back to Jerusalem the families have settled some in the city some around the city the temple has been rebuilt the temple actually was rebuilt exactly 70 years after it was destroyed which is what Jeremiah had prophesied would happen Nehemiah is in the citadel he's in Susa and he wants to know how are things going remember he's a hundred years after this decree and this is what happens and what is said in Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Hanani, and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who had survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah thinks, well, the temple was rebuilt, and we anticipated when the temple would be rebuilt, there'd be this restoration, this renewal, this revival. We've got signs. The temple being rebuilt is the sign that God is with us. After all, Jeremiah prophesied that 70 years of exile. Which was exactly the time between the temple being destroyed and the temple being rebuilt. Here it is, Jeremiah 29, 10 to 11. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope of the future and exactly 70 years from the destruction of the temple the temple is rebuilt surely God is with them but they're still in trouble a hundred years on another 70 years on sorry they're still in disgrace the walls are broken down and the gates are burned with fire Nehemiah gets a vision from God I don't know who I'm speaking to today, But I know I'm speaking to somebody and I'm here to say to you, there's a hope and a future. Yes. Whatever you've faced, whatever situation you're in, something you thought you'd get fixed quite quickly. And it's never sent to happen. Something you thought would happen in your life fairly quickly and it's not happened yet. I, I want you to know that God has plans for you. God has a purpose for you. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a hope. And plans to give you a future. I want to say today, I believe God is saying, God is rebuilding what has been broken. God is removing our shame, and God is about to give you beauty for ashes. Come on, somebody. This is a series about after the fire, God's work of rebuilding. And I want to talk today, last week we thought about rebuilding vision. I want to think about rebuilding order. You might be asking, what's a fifth century text? got to do with my life today i'm glad you asked that what's something written two and a half thousand years ago fifth century bc text two and a half thousand years got to do with me well i'm glad you asked because everything everything because we're prone to overlook the obvious to ignore what needs to be done and despise even the part we can play in god's work Of rebuilding. We leave our mirrors cracked sometimes. But God is a rebuilder. And after the fire we've been through over the last two years. I believe this is a season of rebuilding in the kingdom of God. Anybody with me? God has plans still to prosper us. God has plans not to harm us. But to give us a hope and a future. So Nehemiah gets a burden for what's going on. And he also gets a vision. And a burden without a vision can be excruciating, can be soul-destroying. But a burden and a vision together are energizing. And Nehemiah has both. But he knows the vision's too big for him. He can't do it alone. It's not going to happen if it's just him involved. His vision not only was too big for him, but his vision is also going to be opposed. Anytime you try and do something for God, there's opposition. Have you noticed that? Many people get, become Christians, they get baptized and they're, they're on cloud nine, they're euphoric because they've made this decision to follow Jesus. But it seems after that decision to be baptized, all hell breaks loose. Every time you make a decision to follow Jesus, to fulfill his purpose, there's opposition. And so Nehemiah faced opposition, people tried to stop the work. He was taunted and troubled. People tried to get Nehemiah into endless meetings to distract him from what God had called him to do. He was taunted with things like this. Even a fox could destroy that wall you're building. You're not very good at building Nehemiah, are you? Does it sound familiar? You're not very good at that. You're, you're not. Even a fox could destroy that wall that you're building. He was threatened. There were periods when they had to have a trowel, in one hand, you can read this in the book of Nehemiah. I'm encouraging everybody in all our campuses, let's read the book of Nehemiah. There were times they had to have a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. Because you have to fight for the vision God gives you. You have to fight to see God's vision come to pass. And I don't know if you know this, but have you ever realized how much sorry, opposition and criticism and our own self-talk can be wearying? and debilitating to our soul. You know in the Old Testament, slander, scheming, taunting and lies are seen as acts of violence. We're not the first generation to think about hate speech. In fact, the Psalms are full of the violence of the enemies who would taunt and speak and scheme and say things and lie. And it can weary us. And so Nehemiah had to stay focused. There's one example of opposition. From Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 2 to 4. Sambalat and Gishim sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Oh no, Nehemiah said. (laughs) But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project or a great work and I cannot go down. Don't you love his confidence? Why should the work stop? whilst I leave it and go down to you. Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Nehemiah not only faced opposition, but he faced the possibility of apathy, the possibility that the people wouldn't catch the vision. As I've said, the vision was too big for him. He alone is not going to be able to build the walls all around the city of Jerusalem. And he faced the possibility that nobody would join him. Nobody would serve on team with him. Nobody would turn up early. Nobody would work with him for the purposes of God. He had the possibility no one would catch the vision. And that people would just think about themselves and live for themselves. Isn't that the greatest challenge we face today? I believe in the West, our culture of individualism is the greatest challenge we face because in a culture of individualism, a secular culture of individualism, the goal is always me and self. It's the biggest challenge we face but we're called to something greater than Project Self. We have been invited by God to participate in his kingdom vision and I don't know about you but that excites me. And what we're talking about today matters because almost anything great in life happens not the result of one great person you can have the greatest footballer in your football team and you still might not win anything you can have the greatest basketball player on your basketball you can have the greatest person in any other sphere but you might not achieve anything because nothing happens just through the brilliance of one person it it happens through the contribution Of many. Fifteen years ago, I remember reading about Helen MacArthur. Dame Helen MacArthur now. She's a Derbyshire lass. and She set a new world record for sailing solo around the world in 2005. She was the first person to do it in under 100 days. It was 92 days and something. Here she is um, sailing solo around the world. But I remember reading this article, and I always thought when you sail solo, you sail... Solo. It's you. You get in a boat and off you go. And yes, there's only you in the boat. But she had a team of people in seven different countries who were working with her as she circumnavigated the globe. In Britain, she had the first point of contact, someone she could ring and talk to and tell about her emotions and frustrations. In Australia, she had people who knew about the technical aspects of the boat and how it was performing, and they could talk to her. In France, she had someone who had expert knowledge of the boat's rigging and structure. I know nothing about rigging and boat structure, by the way. In Britain and also in Sweden, she had people who would help her with communications to other members of the support team and would also help her with the electronics on the boat. I'm sure they were young people, you know, 12-year-olds who knew how to do everything on like phones or whatever. In France, she had experts who helped with sailing advice. She had several people around the world helping her with weather. She had a dedicated person in a weather center in the U.S. of A. She had doctors monitoring and advising her in Canada and a nutritionist in Britain and someone in Italy gathering information about her body constantly. I thought she sailed the world alone. I thought she did something great all on her own, but she did something great because she had a team. She got the accolades, she was made a dame for her achievement, but she didn't achieve anything alone. Nothing of significance is ever achieved alone. And that's why all our campuses matter. That's why every person in our campuses and our church matters. We have a saying, don't we, in Icon Church, great churches are not built on the gifts and talents of a few, but on the sacrifice of many. And I want to just take a moment, this opportunity right now, to thank everyone who's part of Icon Church, who have made Icon Church their home, who serves, who gives, who contributes, who comes and worships in this place. Anything we achieve, any obstacle we overcome, any move of the Holy Spirit we experience, every person who finds Jesus and God moves in their life is not the result of one great person. It's the result of the contribution of all of us. Come on, why don't we praise God and why don't we thank one another? So thank you in Stocksbridge, in Rotherham, in Sheffield, in Derby and thank you in Chesterfield and Thank you even to people who join us online. But you contribute into the life of our church in many ways. Thank you. Despite the problems and the potential for challenge. Despite the size of the task that came along. Nehemiah is successful. He builds the whole wall in 52 days. And he does that. It's a miracle. But he does it because the people catch the vision and they join in I love this verse or these verses Nehemiah chapter 2 I said to them I said to the people Nehemiah has come to Jerusalem he's wandered around in secret he's written down all that needs to happen and then he meets the people and he says I said to them you see the trouble we are in Jerusalem lies in ruins still and its gates have been burned with fire come let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace I told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. I love that. It's the amen amongst the people. God can speak to us, but he asks us to say, amen. amen. He asks us, like Mary, to say, do that to us according to your word. Amen. Be it done to us, there's an Amen. Let's start rebuilding. And I think in 2022, this is the spirit we need. If, if that isn't the spirit we need, I don't know what is in 2022. And we need to rebuild in this moment and be active again. In the mission of God. In a few moments I'm going to look. I want to look for a few moments at some verses in chapter 3. And then I'm going to close by three short truths that apply to us today. Everybody doing well? So the people play their part. They start Let us rebuild. And then we have chapter 3. I think chapter 3 is the best chapter in the whole book. But it's probably the chapter you won't read. Or I won't read or I'll skim past and why because all it is is a list of people all it is is a list of names and the work they did the whole chapter all these people but I want to say to you today it's the most important chapter in the book because without all those people without the work they did the wall would never have been rebuilt you see, the Bible doesn't say, look at Nehemiah, what a strategist, what a great leader, what a visionary he was. Look at ne- no, the Bible doesn't do that. It says, look at all these people. Look at all these people. Nehemiah is not even mentioned in chapter 3. There is a Nehemiah in chapter 3, but it's not our Nehemiah who's the leader of this effort. It's a different one. So I want to look at just a few examples today. Here's verses 1 to 3, chapter 3. Are you with me? Eliashib, the high priest and his fellow priests, went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananiel. The men of Jericho built the next section, and Zachar, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Yes, the fish gate was a fish gate. It was a gate where the fish were brought into the city. I, I imagine the fish gate was pretty smelly, don't you? I, I would imagine if you're not a fisherman, if, you, if that's not your trade, like you don't want to, you don't want to do the fish gate. Anybody with me? And we don't even know their names. They're the sons of Hassanar but they're heroes. These verses also talk about how the high priest got involved in building, got involved in doing the work, and the other priests get involved as well. Here's verse 5, Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 5. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. There's a group of men from Tokoa and they get involved, but their rulers, their nobles, won't get involved because they won't submit to the people who've been put in charge of the building, in charge of the work. But the men of Tekoa did it anyway. The nobles were saying, oh, well, they're not very good. They're not the right people. They're not doing it the right way. It ought to be done like that. It ought to be, if I was in charge, I'd be doing it like this. But the men of Tekoa just said, we're going to build the wall anyway. We're going to get involved. And they did that. I love that. You see, they got a get-out-of-jail card. They could have stopped because, well, our rulers have told us. People of importance are telling us. But they refuse Because the leaders refused to get involved. But they just got involved anyway. Heroes. Just all we know, the man is the men of Tokoa. I just want to applaud them today the men of Tekoa. What about these next verse? this next verse, verse 8? Uziel, son of Harariah, Harariah, one of the goldsmiths repaired the next section. And Ananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Goldsmiths, and perfume workers got involved in building wall they picked up a trowel and they got involved they were skilled in other things that's what the scripture's telling us their main skills were elsewhere but they did what they could in that and you might be a brain surgeon today but you can help build the house of God You're not just called to fix brains, you are called to build the house of God. No one is excluded, everyone is needed. You might be a microbiologist. You might be today. You might be creating vaccines to save lives. But there's also a call on your life to build God's house and to save lives in a whole different way. You could be working with parasites Monday to Friday. And serving in kids work on Sunday I love the church don't you I love the church don't you don't make the link between parasites and kids I'm not making that link I've just thought about it not the best example Paul there you go I love the church some of those professions I've mentioned that's a calling on our lives but we're also still called to build the house of God together you might be a health worker saving lives throughout the week administering vaccines a doctor concerned with the health of the community and you might be skilled in all that stuff but as part of the church we're all concerned with the health of people's souls today and we play our part one more from chapter three Are you doing all right am I okay We one more prepare yourself verse 14 the dung gate <laughs> yes the dung gate is the dung gate was repaired by Malkia, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hacharim. He rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. The dungate is the dungate. And I think Malkia is mentioned because who wants to rebuild the dungate? Because <laughs> you still have to deal with that stuff when you're building God's house. And you're serving God's purpose. There's still a dungate that needs repairing. Malkia was a ruler and we've already read that some rulers wouldn't submit to the supervisors but this is a ruler who gets involved and I think that's so vital and I want to tell you why it matters that they all get involved and they all rebuild the parts of the wall that they do because one botched repair makes everything vulnerable one botched repair doesn't cause the thriving of the city but it actually one batch repairs keeps the city vulnerable, but when the wall is rebuilt, the city begins to thrive. And I love that vision in the church, how everyone, all our gifts are needed, whether we're inviting people to Alpha, whether we're hosting people, whether we're welcoming people in church, whether we're Baking, whatever we're doing, worshipping, teaching four to ten-year-olds, serving whatever we're doing, serving icon youth, welcoming, a smiling face, set up, cleaning, just being as part of the community in worship, giving regularly, showing up in person, having a rhythm and a pattern of worshipping with God's people as an individual or as a family, whether involved in media, supporting CAP, involved in CAP, compassion, supporting known value, whatever we're doing, and I've just been able to mention a few Everyone is important and matters and everyone is needed. We just need to ask France why it's important everyone does their work. In the Second World War, the Germans had decided that, you know, to, for their project to be a success, they needed to conquer France quickly. And the French said, no, we've got a wall. It stretches for miles and miles and miles, you know, on our borders. The Germans would never get around that wall. And then the next thing is the Germans turn up in Paris. And people think, how did they turn up in Paris when we've got this huge wall? Well, they just went round. That's all they did. They went round. The French said, they'll never get to us. You see, having a vision is one thing, but having hoarder is something else. The enemy is not frightened by our vision, but when our vision becomes bold prayer, And when our bold prayer tends to united, ordered action, then the enemy starts quaking. I want the enemy to quake. But more importantly, I want to see God's kingdom come. God's will be done. I want to see lives transformed. The church go forward. The broken walls get fixed. And the gates that have been burned with fire get restored. This is a season of rebuilding and rebuilding in God's house. So I just want to close in these last few moments with three truths from this that apply to our lives um, this morning. The first is this. The order that rebuilds is a submission to God's will. If we're going to have an order, order of and a rhythm to our lives that we rebuild, we have to submit to God's will. I think we spend a lot of time asking God to submit to our will. Don't we? Lord, please do this for me and I don't think there's anything wrong with those prayers but we're called to submit to God's will in our lives. Romans 12 and verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Maybe God is speaking to somebody today, and that's what God is calling you to do. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. When we submit to God's will, walls get mended. God's purpose in our life gets fulfilled and goes forward. And God's glory is restored. I loved what Lucy said actually in her prayer moment this morning. I don't know if everybody would have picked that up. But she said we're praying for God's glory in these situations. When somebody gets healed, that's God's glory. When some life gets restored, that's God's glory. When someone overcomes anxiety or depression, that's God's glory. When somebody breaks through an addiction or something in their life, that's God's glory. When a family member or a colleague or somebody gives their life to Jesus, that's God's glory at work. I love that. God gets glory through the order after the fire. After the chaos, the order that rebuilds is submission to God's will. The second thing is the order that rebuilds is serving where it's needed. See, it's not just a multitude, a list of ordinary people in that chapter, chapter 3. But it's a multitude of people just doing ordinary things. Just serving. Probably in ways they thought might be insignificant. But those consistent things in our lives, those consistent things that we do repeatedly, that's what brings order out of chaos. Those rhythms, those patterns, those builders of the wall that showed up every day and they do their little and they play their seemingly insignificant part, but they do it. I love a story in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul has a vision one night he has this vision in a dream and in his dream he sees a man from Macedonia and the man from Macedonia in this dream is, is calling out and shouting out, come and help us, come and help us. And I think there's that call today, come and help us. Maybe you're watching online today, Like, listen to the call, come and help us. Maybe you've never connected yet with Icon Church or some other church in where you live, and there's a call that's going to you today. Come and help us. Come and help us because the vision is too big. Come and help us build what Jesus is building. And it's the willingness of the people that makes this story miraculous. They're a remnant. They're exiles who've returned. but they're still in distress and despair but all God needed was willingness and that's all he needs from you and me because God does not call the qualified he qualifies the called. he doesn't call the qualified he doesn't wait till you've got it all together he qualifies the called. it's a word for someone today the remnant in the scriptures is not a negative thing we think of a remnant as negative because it's small but it's just what God's got left to work with. And that's all he needs. In fact, sometimes in the scriptures, God created a remnant. He didn't want it to be easy. He loves it when the odds are against him. Paul speaks to this again in Romans chapter 12, verses three to eight. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as one body has many members, so too we are one body with many members. And these members don't all have the same function. So in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to the others with different gifts according to the grace that's being given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy with accordance to your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's leading, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Peter put it this way, let's use our gifts to serve others. And then finally, The order that rebuilds shares the vision and the burden. I'm really proud of our church. I'm proud of how we care for one another. I'm proud of how we've sought to do that through the pandemic. I'm proud about how we stood together and prayed for people who were, their lives were threatened through that. I'm proud of our church, how we care for others in this season. People going debt-free. We heard about this morning and those praise reports. We had another praise report this week. Someone sent in that a year ago there was a a, a situation where, I'm just trying to remember it, but uh, the headline is a year ago, the report was, this is inoperable. But a year later, the report is, it's all clear. And as a church, we stood and we prayed with that family, who other members of their family. I've been thinking throughout the years this week about how that happens in church that's who we are it's what we do I was thinking about when my youngest Sam was born some people say I've never seen Sam it's because he sat in a room back there doing something <laughs> when Sam was born he came early he actually came three weeks early and uh, I was in Poland actually at the time I'd planned to be back for the birth but Sam decided he's coming early and Jeannie had a really difficult time a rough time but there was somebody from, and she was in hospital for quite a few days. But there was a person from our church with her every day. And actually, a lady in her church, our church who was there when Sam was born. I wasn't there, but somebody had stood in. I wish I'd thought about that on the previous two. No, I'm only kidding. But order that rebuilt shares the vision and the burden. You get the picture. Paul says this, Romans 12 again, 11 to 13. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serve in the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Come on, why don't we stand in all our campuses? Why don't we stand today? We're going to pray. I believe God wants to give us more than just a burden whether that's a burden for our family or a burden for our cities or a burden for individuals or even a burden for the, what we want to see God do. I believe he wants to give us a vision. But he wants to give us more than a burden and a vision. He wants us to take a step to play our part, a rhythm of participation in the kingdom of God. Paul said it like this, keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. that's what God is rebuilding in 2021. He's rebuilding our vision, but he's also rebuilding our spiritual fervor, which is that rhythm of participation in God's kingdom. And his vision is one body that does incredible things, that sees God do incredible things, but one body that with many parts doing the work. I'm praying today that there will be a shift that this post-pandemic world doesn't change our vision of Jesus for his church and his kingdom. Our secular individualistic culture doesn't stop the building of God's church but we join together as one body many parts working for what God can do amongst us and I believe today that all God is looking for is willing hearts. Do you believe it church? Amen. So Lord I quickly pray Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, right now. Restore our vision. Restore our fervor. Restore it to a level that we can create new rhythms of participation in the kingdom of God. I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what that means for me. I believe God will have spoken to you as an individual as to what that looks like for you. But I pray today for new rhythms of participation in the kingdom of God in Jesus name and the whole church said